good morning, everyone. I was checking that it's still morning, so good morning. I hope everybody is well. It's, it's amazing how throughout the service, if you paid attention, there's been a theme that has run through it right from Sunday school down to the hymn that we just sang. And there's been a strong reminder about getting our priorities right, a strong reminder of the return of Christ, a strong reminder of needing to be in right standing. And you know, in um, the Bible, when Paul was talking to the church um, in Thessalonians, he said to them that for him to keep repeating the same thing, that it wasn't tedious, but it was safe for those guys. And I think that it's expedient for us if God is repeating the same things to us that we pay attention and we don't just let it go into one ear and come out of the other. There's a reason why God is repeating it. When um, pastor was singing his special number and he was singing um, when we get to heaven, the second one, the last time I heard that song, um, we were standing by the graveside of a, a close family friend who the whole family, the husband, the wife, the two children had burnt and all died during the, ho the holidays. And these guys, they were at the top of their career. They were accomplished people, their children, extremely bright people, heartbreaking. And we stood by that graveyard as they lowered in coffin after coffin and everybody was crying and singing. And what that was one of the songs that we sang. At that moment in time, it didn't matter that he was a professor at the top of his career. At that moment, it didn't matter that she was a consultant. It didn't matter that the children were so bright. All that mattered was that they knew Jesus. All that mattered was that there was hope at the other side of eternity. And I believe that God is speaking to us and we need to take it seriously. Sometimes it's so easy to prioritize everything else but God, you know, um, career, sorting out the children, getting this and that, a bigger house, whatever but we need to hear God, God is speaking to us and we need to have listening ears. And my prayer is that at the end of everything, for some of us, it might be rapture, for some of us, it might be that God would call us home. However, we go to be with God and none of us will go before our time, but however we go to be with God, my prayer is that none of us would be found wanting, would have prioritized right in Jesus name. So I want you to just take a, a minute or two and pray for yourself. I want you to pray that as God word, God's word comes today, that the Holy Spirit himself would speak to you, that you would hear that that word that he has for you, that you would hear it clearly. We all know in scripture that the Bible talks about those who heard God's word, but because it didn't mix with faith, the Bible says it didn't profit them, it was of no use to them. I want you to pray for yourself that the word that you hear today, that it would mix with faith in you, that it, would, it wouldn't just be words, but it would come alive within you and that it would transform you, it would change how you think, that you would not leave service today the same way that you came, but you would leave more the person that God has called you to be. Just pray for yourself. As you pray for yourself, pray for your brethren as well, both those here in the hall and those online, that you would hear God's word. I beg you, don't be distracted. Be determined, be determined, be determined to receive the word God has for you. Father, we give you thanks. We give you thanks. Holy Spirit, come and teach us. Come and speak to us. For in Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed. Amen. For in Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed. Amen. Amen. I'd have asked you to smile at the person next to you, but they wouldn't know whether you're smiling or not <laughs> because of your mask. 
Some people can smile with their eyes, but I know that not all of us can, so I'm not going to ask you to smile. But just imagine that the person next to you is smiling at you very lovingly. So a few weeks ago, by God's grace, we started to look at how's your relationship with God? How's my relationship with God? And we did the part one, and by God's grace, we're going to continue with that today. Like I said back then, it's a very individual question. It's very, very individual, very personal. The truth of the matter is that even my husband can't answer that question for me as well as he knows me. I can't answer that question for you. I might think that your relationship with God is hunky-dory, it's amazing, and it might not be. So it's a very individual, personal question. And as we carry on um, looking into God's word today, I want you to keep reflecting. I want you to be very honest with yourself and tying it with what we've been saying about getting our priorities right, about being on track with God. Your relationship with God should be the most important relationship in your life. Everything else in your life should flow from that relationship. So if there's a problem with my relationship with God, I have a serious problem. If there's a problem with other relationships, yes, that's, that's not great. But God can help me to come to a place of rectification. God can bring me to a place where there's healing. But if there's a problem with my relationship with God and I'm not bothered, I'm not trying to fix it. I'm not going back to him like the prodigal son. The Bible says the prodigal son, after he had suffered, I'm paraphrasing, the Bible says he came to himself. He came to his senses and he went back to fix that relationship. If we listen to that person, there's a problem with the relationship with God, then we're in serious trouble and we just might not know it. Then we're in danger of missing God. Then we're in danger of not pleasing God. Then we're in danger of not hearing well done at the end of time. So it's a really, really important relationship. So to give us a brief recap, for those of us who weren't there when we had the first um, half of the message, and to remind those of us that we're there, we started off by saying that the starting point of a relationship with God is accepting God's gift of love. The Bible tells us in John 3.16 that for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish. So step one is believing and accepting the gift of Jesus. That's step one. And then we talked about step two and said, but it doesn't just stop there. That's almost like um, starting a race. You know, when you qualify for a race, um, for those of you that have been watching the Olympics, I haven't been, but I, the Olympics that just passed, I didn't really watch them. But for those of you that are kin, I, do, I don't want to say sportsmen. How do you talk about the people that watch sportsmen? <laughs> so for those of you that like to watch them, you know, they, it's not just sports fans, thank you. So it's not everybody who wants to run in the Olympic that runs in the Olympics, am I right? There's some people that are pretty good, pretty decent, I mean, um, but they don't get to, they have to qualify first. So given your life to Christ, you've qualified for the race, you're now there, you know, and you're at that race. It doesn't stop there. When they qualify, they don't say, oh my gosh, I'm, 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 I've made it. I qualified for the Olympics and they start to tweet it and it stops there. Does it stop there? No, they have to actually run that race. And in running that race, we're talking about relationship with God. In running that race, we're talking about how we spend our lives on this side of eternity. In running that race, we're talking about the person who is so distracted or the person who's looking onto Jesus. In running that race, we're talking about a person who's weighed down with all sorts of weights and they can't run as they should, or the person who's put down all those weights and is just focused on running the way God wants them to. So we said step two, we have to draw near to God. We have to draw near to God. We have to get into relationship with him. 
and that is running the race. Yes, we're born again, hallelujah. And if you're not, I, I really, really want to encourage you that before you leave this building, before you turn off from Zoom today, that you, you accept that gift of God. That's the starting point. But we have to draw near to him. We have to get into intimate relationship. We talked about the prodigal son. We talked about the brother. We talked about how neither of those two were in a sweet, loving relationship with their father. One had major issues, the prodigal son. But the older brother, he didn't have a loving relationship with his father either. He saw him like a taskmaster and he said, how's your relationship with God? Is it a loving relationship or is it a relationship of, I'm just doing this thing because I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to spend eternity in hell. I'm so afraid and that's why I'm in it. That's not what God wants. And we looked at the book of Hosea where God showed us how much he loved us with the relationship between Hosea and his wife. Um, again, if you haven't read the book of Hosea before, I encourage you to, to visit that. And we talked about the great love that God has for us. The Bible says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So that's a, a brief recap of the part one. And so we're carrying on with that. And we're saying we need to draw into, we need to get into relationship with God. And we need to be everything he's called us to be. But not just in being, but we also need to do the things he's called us to do. Um, I love Ephesians 2.10. Ephesians 2.10, if you don't know it by heart, I encourage you to learn it by heart and say it to yourself from time to time. Ephesians 2.10, it says, for we are God's masterpiece. And that's amazing. A masterpiece is the very best work of an artist. And God says you and I were his masterpiece, but it doesn't stop there. I don't just qualify for the race, there's more. It says he has created us anew in Christ Jesus. And that is amazing. That is awesome. But it doesn't stop there. Why are we created anew in Christ Jesus? It says, so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. There are certain things, certain assignments that has your name on them. And they've had your name on them since before you showed up on this side of eternity. And God has put you in relationship with him. He's made you his masterpiece so that you can do those things. Some of those things, for some of us, it's in your workplace. For some of us, it's in our families. For some of us, it's in our neighborhoods. Are you doing those good things? Are you doing those good things? We cannot just be. I cannot just be a Christian, a masterpiece, and, and that's amazing, but I have to also go on and do. I have to do. So we need to, be, we need to get into relationship with God so that we can understand fully who we are, who he says we are, who he is, because we're being transformed into his likeness. When I hear God's word, as we hear God's word today, it shouldn't just stay there. It should change how I think. It should change how I do certain things, which, make, which in turn transforms me into more of the person God has called me to be. And that's how it's supposed to work. So we're his masterpieces and we need to go and do those good things he's planned for us. A few weeks ago, we had the message on manifesting. God is calling us to a place of manifesting. It's not enough that I discover who I am. That's amazing. But it's not enough that I discover who I am, that I discover my gifts, my talents. It's not even enough that I develop them. I have to deploy. You have to manifest. You have to manifest. The person who does not manifest is not pleasing God. Remember the parable of the talents. That guy, he didn't lose his gifts, the last guy. He didn't throw it away. He hid it. He kept it unused. And when the master came and they had to give account, the master was so displeased with him. To please God, you and I, we must do. We must do. And I pray that God would help us. But how can I be? How can I do? 
without getting into relationship with the one who has made me, without getting into relationship with the one who has given me these assignments, I can only be and do by being connected with him. John 15, five tells us that without God, without him, we can do nothing. I have to stay connected. I can have the greatest desire in the world to be all God has called me to be, to do all he's called me to do. But if I'm not connected to him, remember last time we said, the Bible says in John 10, that my sheep, they hear my voice. They hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. If I'm not hearing his voice, how would I know what he wants me to do? I can, you know, the Bible tells us about a time in the Old Testament where everybody was doing things as they saw fit. Everybody was doing things the way they, that pleased them, the way they thought it worked. But I'm going to miss it. I have to be connected. You have to be connected. We have to draw closer. We have to draw closer. And sometimes we're so lazy about this. I think because we're in the dispensation of grace, you know, we're so lazy about it. We don't want to put in the work. Any relationship that's going to work, you have to put in time. You have to put in effort. You have to put in the work. I have to get into the word. I have to be talking to God. In the hard times, I have to hold on to him and refuse to let go. We have to put in that, that, that work. And I pray that God would help us. This is not a relationship that I can afford to fail at. This is not a relationship that you can afford to fail at. The person who fails in this relationship has failed in everything else. It might look like the person is so successful, the person has the whole world, but the Bible says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world, everything, and he loses his soul? I pray that that will not be any of our portions in Jesus' name. So we need to make sure that we're drawing there. We need to make sure that we're being, but very importantly, that we're doing as well, that we're doing as well. And you can only get those blueprints from God, moment by moment, day by day, season by season, if you're connected to him. I pray that God would help us, that we'll not be lazy Christians, that we will be Christians that work at it, that put what we need to put into this relationship with God in Jesus' name. We also need to be persistent and keep going. We need to be persistent and keep going because Jesus assures us that hard times would come, challenges would come, troubled times would come, and sometimes as Christians, it's, it's a really funny thing. Um, Christians, Christendom, we, we believe Jesus in everything else. But when it comes to this part, we refuse to believe what he said, right? And we say to people sometimes that when you accept Jesus, no more hardship, no more challenges. When you accept Jesus, you're enrolling into an army, right? And so people come into Christianity sometimes expecting no issues, no challenges, no tests, no trials. And when things start to hit them, then they think, oh, this Christianity is not working. So we need to make sure that we're reading our scriptures and we're reading it and asking the Holy Spirit to speak to us. When Jesus says that in this world, you will face tribulations, he knew what he was talking about. Believe him, you will. But he said, but be of good cheer. Why? I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. I was revisiting, um, there's a book that I really like where... Um, the, it's really about children and it's a great book for parents, but it was talking about the reasons why people leave the faith. And they did some research and they talked to lots of people who had left the Christian faith. And there were four main reasons that are highlighted in that book, why people leave the faith. Um, and I'll just pull them out quickly for us. Um, the first one says people leave because they have troubling unanswered questions about their faith. So they have troubling unanswered questions that are never dealt with. And so eventually at some point they leave. People leave because their faith is not working for them. 
For some people, they're expecting everything to be honky-dory. I've given my life to Jesus. The money's going to be pouring. Everything is just going to be easy. But that's not what the Bible says. So read your Bible for yourself. Ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you. People leave because other things in life become more important than their faith. And we've been talking about priorities, getting our priorities right. And then the final one says people leave because they never personally own their faith. They're never really in relationship with God. They're like those guys in Matthew 7 that come to Jesus and say, we prophesied in your name. We casted out demons. And he says, I never knew you. So we need to make sure that personally coming to church is fantastic. Fellowship with the brethren is essential. But what is even more critical and more crucial is that you have a one-on-one -on -one intimate relationship with God. My sheep hear my voice. It's not that the chief sheep hears my voice and goes and tells the other sheep what I have said. He said, my sheep, the people that are my sheep, the person that is my sheep, they hear my voice. If we are not hearing God's voice, there's something wrong with that relationship. And you need to get back to God to help you fix that. Matthew 7, I'm still looking at Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14 verses 13 and 14. So we're talking about being persistent even when times are hard. Verses 13 and 14 of Matthew 7 says, enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And the Bible says there are few who find it. One of the things that, that disturbs me about these two verses is one, it says that the gate to life is narrow. It says few find it. It says that the one, the way that is broad is the one that many are on. What disturbs me about these verses is, I believe that there are many people who think they're on the narrow way, but they're actually on the broad way. The Bible says, God knows those who are his. My sheep, they hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. We have to make sure, and it's important that we are on the narrow, that we're heading on the narrow gate. Because right now, this side of eternity, if we find that we're not, if we find that we're on the broad, easy way, we can rectify it. But after death comes judgment. We were looking at purgatory the other day. After we die, after the rapture happens, there's no more rectification. There's no more change in pathways. So it is so key, so important that we're reflective, that I look at my life. And I look at the characteristics of the narrow way. I look at the things that God has called me to do. I look at what God defines a Christian as. You know, we were encouraged to look at Ephesians 4, 11 to the end. I think it was about 11 or 17 to the end. How children of light work. Does that reflect my life? If it doesn't, there's no point kidding myself. I need to make sure that there's changes, there are amends right now because we still have a chance to. I pray that God would help us, that we will not be among um, terrible statistics in Jesus' name. So salvation is key. Drawing near is key. We need to be and we need to do. And we need to be persistent. We need to keep going. Hard times will come. I mean, ask the Christians that are facing persecution in the north of Nigeria, that are facing persecution in Iran. You know, even in the UK, people are going through tough times. So tough times, the Bible says they would come. But he said we should be of good cheer because... Let's say it like we mean it. <laughs> Hallelujah. And that would be our reality. We would be of good cheer in Jesus' name. Then we need to overflow. So when relationship with God, 
God is transforming us. God is changing us. God is pouring all these things into us. Do I just keep it? Do you just keep it? No, we have to overflow. He's called us to go out and be a witness. In Acts 1, the Bible says when we receive the Holy Spirit, we receive power, power to do what? To go and be a witness, power to overflow. So it's really, really important that we do that. In Matthew 10, verses 7 and 8, Matthew 10, 7 and 8, I'm just going to read the last bit of verse 8. Verse 8, it says, freely you have received, freely give. Jesus was telling his disciples to go out to preach, to heal the sick, to go and do all these amazing things that he had equipped them for. And he ended it by saying, freely you have received, freely you have give, you should give. So we need to go out there and freely give, freely give. In reflecting on your relationship with God, there are two tests that I think are really, really great tests. And again, nobody, this is very personal, it's very individual. If I can't be honest with myself, if you can't be honest with yourself, then there's a problem. I guess it'll be a different case if I ask Blessing to stand up and I say, Blessing, I'm going to shoot some questions at you. Tell me how it's going in your life. Then that's different, but this is individual. So let's be reflective. Let's examine ourselves. Let's see where we need to make adjustments. The word of God is like a mirror, James tells us. We look into that mirror and we see who we are. We see who we should be and we should make adjustments. So the first test is what I call the love test. The love test, right? So the Bible tells us that our lives should be characterized by love. In John 13, 35, John 13, 35, Jesus talking to his disciples says, by this, everyone would know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So this is the test. If you guys love one another, everyone would know that you're my disciples. You wouldn't even need to say, ah, bless you, you know what, I'm a disciple. You just see how I love Judy, see how I love Fidelis, and you're like, oh, there's something about this woman, Right. And we look at the church in the book of Acts. That church was an amazing church. They said there was nobody needy in that church. Why? Because folks would go and sell their houses and bring the money to the apostles to share among everybody. Now that's crazy love. Nobody needed to tell them. Nobody needed to tell their neighbors that there's something different about these folks. They could see it. And that's the kind of love that Jesus was talking about. But now we're going individual. How are you doing with the love test? How are you loving those around you? In 1 John 4:20. 1 John 4, 20, the Bible says, if someone says I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God who we cannot see? How are you doing loving the people that you can see? The Bible here says that if you don't love the folks that you can see and you say you love God, you're a liar. That's a test of your relationship with God. Do you only love those who you like and those who like you? The Bible says that even the sinners, even the Pharisees do that. How are you doing with love? Loving others means that. It's not just words. So I can say to Bimpe, oh, Bimpe, I love you. Those are words. The proof is in my actions, right? When people are in need, do you just say, oh, I'll pray for you. And yet you know that you have what can help them get out of that situation. In James, James gives us two examples. It gives us an example of a brother who's cold and a brother who's hungry. And you just say to them, I'm paraphrasing, ah, bros, God bless you. Be filled. I'll be praying for you. It is well. And you have two coats. Faith without works. It's the action. Love is a verb. That's why the Bible says that, you know, God so loved the world. What did he do? He gave. Love is a verb. And love can be costly sometimes. Love can be costly. It wasn't convenient for Jesus to come and die for you and I. No. It would have been way more convenient to just stay in heaven. But he did it anyway. So that's a test. Ask yourself, 
How are you loving the people around you? And when I say the people around you, I'm not talking about just your husband and your children. <laughs> I'm talking about others. How are you loving them? And that's for Christians. But what about people who are non-Christians? How are you doing? The love test applies as well. How are you doing in loving people that are non-Christians? For some of us, we might be fantastic at loving the brethren. Jola is my, she's my sister in Christ. Hallelujah, I can love on her. But I see that person who's not a Christian and all I see is the sin. I don't see the person. How are you doing with that? In John 8, verses 1 to 12, we've read this in recent times. John 8, 1 to 12. I'm not going to read it, but it's the story of the woman caught in adultery that they brought to Jesus. And I, I see many lessons here for us on how we should love people who are not Christians as well. For me, the most amazing thing about this story is the reason why they brought the woman to Jesus. Every time I look at this passage, I'm amazed. The reason they brought the woman to Jesus, the Bible tells us in verse 6 of John 8, is that they were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. Now, Jesus was a teacher. He was a rabbi. They knew that by law, by the law of God, the law of Moses, this woman deserved to be killed. And yet in their minds, they knew that Jesus, who was a rabbi to them, a teacher, would do something different. They knew that this man wasn't like other rabbis and other teachers. Other rabbis and other teachers would say, what does the law say? Follow the law. But they knew that Jesus, he, he worked with compassion. They knew that Jesus had a history of sinners coming to him. That wasn't usual. You know, in, um, in John chapter 8, John chapter 8, you can visit that. When Jesus, a Pharisee, invited Jesus to his house for a meal, the Bible says that a woman who was a sinner, a version says a woman who was living in sin, she heard that Jesus was in the Pharisee's house. And what did she do? She headed to Jesus with her alabaster jar. That wasn't usual. The holy people, the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, they didn't mix with the sinners. You know, those were the sinners. We were holy people, you know. But they knew that Jesus was different. And because they knew he was different and he was consistently different, they figured out that if we take this woman to Jesus, this sinner who everybody knows should be stoned to death, we'll be able to trap this guy because he's all about compassion and love. And I have a question for you. For the people who are not Christians around you, your colleagues, your neighbors, when they think about you, do they think you're different? Do they think that there's something about you that you're someone who will go out of your way to help people? Do they think about you and think, you know what, I have an issue. If I go to T, T would do his best to help me. Or do they think you're just like everybody else? Or worse still, do they have no expectations from you because you never get involved with anyone else? You're just doing your own thing, living in your own little bubble. Glory be to God. Jesus, they came to him to try and trap him because they knew that he was different. And this woman, they bring him to Jesus. We all know the story. Jesus says what he said. Jesus gave a criteria for the first person to stone her. And nobody there fulfilled that criteria except Jesus himself. But Jesus looked at her and said, I don't condemn you. Did that mean that Jesus was condoning her sin and validating the sin? No. He said to her that she should go and sin no more. But Jesus saw the person first before he dealt with the sin. When you see people, what do you see? What do you deal with? Somebody was telling me this a few weeks ago, and I have mentioned it before, and I thought it was heartbreaking. She said to me that when a person says to me that I'm a Christian, I have no expectation. I, expect, I don't expect them to be more loving. I don't expect them to have more integrity. I don't expect them to have more compassion. And I thought that is heartbreaking for the Christians that have come around her. 
when people think about you and I, we need to be overflowing with compassion, with love. Again, another, um, another um, story, a testimony of a lady that I've mentioned before um, was this young girl. I think she said she was about 13, 14. And she started to feel that she was attracted to people in the opposite sex. Grew up in a Christian home, was in a Christian community. And she said of everyone in her Christian home, whether nuclear extended Christian community, there wasn't one person, one, just one person that she felt she could approach and talk to about what was going on in her. Why? Because she felt they would be judgmental, they would be critical. She was like, she had heard how people had said, oh, those people, they just disgust me. And so the thought of going to talk to anyone, she thought it couldn't work. Um, what's so amazing about Grace, it's a book, a really great book. That book starts with the story, true story, of a woman who was um, into drugs and all that. She was prostituting herself. And when it would get so bad that she would want her hit and she wouldn't have money, she had a two-year-old daughter. She would give her two-year-old daughter to men so that she could get money. What she knew was messed up. So when she was sober, she would feel so bad. And she was talking to somebody and the person said to her, have you thought of going to church? And she said, why would I go to church? Because they're gonna judge me. She felt there would be no grace there, no compassion, no love. It's a challenge for you and I. When people look at you, when people look at me, is it grace they think of? Is it compassion? Is it love? Or is it critical, judgmental people? Check the Bible in Jesus' time. Who were the guys that were judgmental, critical, showing no grace, no compassion, no love? It was the Pharisees. It was the teachers of the law. It was those hypocrites. I pray that God would help us, that when we look at people, Christian or none, what you see is you see the person and you see through the father's eyes. The Bible says that while we were yet sinners, what did God do for us? Christ died for us. That doesn't just mean those that are Christians now. That's the whole world. The Bible says God so loved the world so that your colleague who might be so wicked, so sinful, God looks at him and God loves him. When you look at him, what do you see? We need to overflow with God's love. We need to see the person. We need to see the person. And I pray that God would help us. Now, if I'm struggling, if I'm always critical, always judgmental, if I'm not overflowing with love, then there's something wrong with my relationship with God. Because the Bible doesn't say that God is loving. The Bible doesn't say God can show love. The Bible says God is love. If I'm in the right relationship with love, I cannot but overflow love. Now, if we find that that is not us, then we need to go back to God and say, God, I know that there's something not right here. Help me. We need to make sure that we're going back to the Bible because when we read the Bible, what happens? Romans 12, to read the Bible, it changes the way that we think when we let God and it transforms us. There must be change. This is where growth. Now, growth is that maybe last year or some years ago, I was so critical, so judgmental. Growth is that now I'm loving. Growth is that now I'm going out of my way to help others. Growth is that I know that somebody is struggling and I don't just pray for them, but I know that, okay, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a bit tight for me, but I give them the finances that they need because I can and I love them and I truly care. We need to check ourselves, the love test. We need to check ourselves. It's really, really important. Sinners, they were so drawn to Jesus. Are people drawn to you and I? You know, there's no way that salt can give flavor or preserve anything if that salt stays in the salt shaker. So imagine you're at a mill and the salt stays in the salt shaker and the mill is terrible. There's no salt in it, it's just tasteless. 
as long as we don't pour that salt and mix it in, it's not doing anything, right? And sometimes as Christians, that's us. We just stay in the salt shaker. So we're all salt together in church and we're all salt in our little bubbles. And we never actually go out and do what God has said and said, you are the salt of the earth. You have to go there and be salt. You must be light. Get into people's spaces, show love. You know, we were talking about how we should pray. And what was the other thing? There were three things. This is how we know if we've been doing it. Pray, share, thank you, Jude. And fantastic. So we said we should pray, we should care, and we should share. And this is all part of that. Yes, we must pray, but we have to go further than that. We need to care and really care about, don't let people be projects. When my colleague is just a project, I just want this one to hear about Jesus and I can tick, done, next person, done. Ah, God, I'm doing your work. Care, have compassion for people, love them. If you're not, go back to God and say, Father, help me because I want to be like you. I want to be transformed. People will know, people will know about Jesus that he cares. And that's why sinners were drawn to Jesus. That's why sinners were drawn to Jesus. So we need to make sure the second test, and, and we're closing on this one, is the obedience test. The obedience test. How's my relationship with God? How's your relationship with God? One way to check is by doing the obedience test. John 14, 23. John 14, 23 says, Jesus replied, all who love me will do what I say. My father will love them and we will come and make our home with each of them. So I can't just say I love God and I'm not doing what he says. He said all, no exception. If I love God, then I will do what he says. That's the obedience test. Am I yielded to the spirit? Am I obedient or am I forever grieving the Holy Spirit? He says, do this and it's like, mm, or I do a little bit. The obedience test, check yourself. Are you obedient? Are you obedient? Are you obedient? Are you doing what he's asking you to do? Are you spending time in the word? Are you spending time in the place of prayer? When you hear a message, do you go back like the Berean Christians and check it out and see how can I apply this thing to my life? How can it transform me? How can it change my thinking? The obedience test is really key. We need to be obedient to God. We need not to grieve the Holy Spirit anymore. We need to live a life that's yielded to him. We need to fulfill our ministries, our assignments. We need to be, we need to do. The, the truth of the matter is that we are all called. We're all in ministry. Your ministry might not be what we traditionally call ministry, like you're an evangelist and all that. But in your workplace, that might be part of your mission field. In your neighborhood, we are all called and you need to fulfill your ministry. So let's remember that freely we have received and freely we must give. And I pray that God would help us that where our relationships with God are not as they should be, that starting from today, there would start to be positive changes in Jesus' name. And where the relationships are healthy and they're going well, I pray that we'll continue to grow. We'll continue to get into deeper, into deeper realms of relationship with God in Jesus' name. So if you can stand, I'm going to ask us to just stand for a minute as we just pray for ourselves regarding our relationships with God. So you know where you're at, and I'm going to ask you to just pray for yourself. We're just going to spend a minute or two just praying about our relationships with God. I'm going to sing a song. You might want to join me, but if you'd rather just pray in your own words to God, please do that. I want more of you. I want more of you. Jesus, the more I know you, 
The more I want to know you, Jesus, more of you. Oh, I want more of you. I want more of you, Jesus, the more. that's our heart's prayer that we would have more of you that we would get into deeper realms of relationship with you father i pray that for every single one of us that our relationship with you would be what you want it to be i pray that we would grow in our relationship with you i pray that where we're in a dry place where we're in a stagnant place father i pray that you would draw us to yourself help us father to run this race well for in Jesus' mighty name we have prayed. Amen, amen and amen. God bless you.